0: Boom, fourth string podcast back. What an incredible week zero yesterday. I don't know if Ben's trying to seduce the audience or what he's doing, but it's bizarre. Um, Thank you for that. It's the second best uh, introduction to our podcast we've had so far this year. Um, Crazy week zero. Nebraska loses another close one to Northwestern. That game, Ben, was wild to watch, and I had this thought. By the way, we're going to do a conference previews today, Group of Five, Notre Dame, Liberty fans, stick around. I got you today, so it's going to be fun. Um, the Nebraska game was crazy. And, Ben, here's my thought, and I was texting you about this last night. Nebraska should fire Scott Frost. <laughs> should not wait. Should not wait. And here's the thing. I'm going to pull up their schedule here. These like, And a lot of people are saying, okay, they should, cut, they should fire them. They kind of cut their losses, all that stuff. That's not why they should fire them. That's part of it. The schedule is actually the reason why you fire them. The next three weeks, North Dakota at home, Georgia Southern at home, two cupcakes. Then they get Oklahoma. Now, that's not a cupcake. They're probably going to lose that anyways. And then they get a bye week before they play Indiana and Rutgers. So here's the thing. If you're going to fire Scott Frost, like if you watched that game yesterday and you think, okay, The chance of him getting through the season is under 10%. Fire him now because whoever the interim coach is, A, you give that guy an interview. So like Mark Whipple to me, he should be the interim coach. I think he was already getting looks at head coaching jobs last year after what he did with Pitt. The offense was the one thing that seemed to work well yesterday for three and a half quarters until that onside kick debacle, right? Um, To me, that's who should be the interim head coach. So you're gonna give him two cupcakes to figure out the offense or figure out the team. You're gonna give him Oklahoma. Now that's a tough game, but then a bye week, Indiana, and Rutgers. So that is literally four really five games to get this team figured out, plus a bye week. You're gonna give him the year to almost kind of interview for the head coaching job going forward. And you go ahead and get go ahead and stop with Scott Law, Scott Frost. Here's the thing about Scott Frost. After what you watched yesterday, you may be thinking, okay, he could rectify the season. Maybe he gets us to a bowl game. It's all still in play. And that's fine for this year. My question about Scott Frost is, can you watch what happened yesterday and can you look at Scott Frost and picture him ever getting Nebraska back to nine to 10 wins a year? For me, I don't think so. You're a premier program. You need to cut it now.
1: Yep. Yeah. So uh, something, something that uh... – so many so many places to go here. The reason they haven't fired him yet was because Brian Harson isn't available. So uh, that's the first thing. They were asking on ESPN yesterday what's Brian Harson standing in Nebraska. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, that uh, was just
0: a typo, right? Like nobody's actually No, that was
1: an ESPN article. So that was that was in ESPN. It was
0: Hold on. Are they suggesting Brian Harson would go to Nebraska?
1: Yes. Yes, they are.
0: I don't think Nebraska would hire Brian Harson at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean so
1: then Nebraska needs to go after a really, you know, splash landing coach, which is what Scott Frost was supposed to be. Uh, When we were texting back and forth, it was, I wonder if Scott Frost is even going to have a ticket on the plane. Like if they just tell him, look, find your own way home. I halfway expected that to happen. Like, look, spend the week in Ireland, you know, enjoy the sights while you're here. Uh, Don't come back to Nebraska like,
0: yeah, nah. well, here's here's the thing you can as a that coach you can lose a game to a team you're not supposed to lose to what you can't do is you can't lose continuously well, because you continue to overthink the room like yeah. and I understand like you're hiring a younger coach. That's fine. But like remember Georgia hired Kirby Smart and Kirby Smart his first couple of years. They were awful. They lost to Vanderbilt, whatever, but it was OK because he was learning the ropes. He wasn't overthinking the room. Like you've never watched Kirby smart lose a game. Cause he just did something insane trying to <laughs> outsmart everyone. Right. Like Scott Frost yesterday, I think went into that game and thought, Oh, I went into this on the hot seat. We're up two scores. I've got this game under my, you know, like in my belt, like this is a win. Right. And then he thought, now I'm really going to show everybody that's doubted me as a head coach and show you why I should be here. Let's call the gutsiest play ever. I don't even mind the gutsy play. Like if they had forced a turnover and then he threw a hail mary, fine. But a an onside kick—it's like a five percent success rate. So you're calling that low of a percentage of a success rate when you have an no 11% reason lead against Northwestern.
1: Like, what are you doing? Yeah, the the thing was was timing of it. There was absolutely no reason for it, and Not, yeah. all you needed to do was get out of there with a win. Just get out there with a win. <laughs> right, yeah. Well,
0: and here's, here's the other thing I think going forward, too. Did you watch Illinois at all yesterday? Yeah, a little bit. They looked good. Uh-huh. I mean, I know they played Wyoming. Listen, Wyoming was a bold team last year. That's not a bad team at all. And, I mean, Illinois, they ran the ball well. They threw the ball well. I think Wyoming had, like, 20 passing yards up until the fourth quarter. So, the defense was playing great. I mean – like, I'm looking back at if we're going to redo our Big Ten West predictions, Ben. Northwestern's already beaten ya. Illinois looks good. Like, I think Nebraska might finish last in the West unless they can Scott Frost now and go ahead and put Whipple in charge.
1: It's wild. Uh, <laughs> I expect a lot more out of this Nebraska team that I just didn't see. Uh, there's another team that I need to apologize to, though, and that's the Vanderbilt Commodores. Um, (laughs) They looked good
0: yesterday, too. Holy cow. First time they've scored.
1: First time they scored more than 49 points versus a team in like 70 years. Wow. Just laid the wood and kept on kicking.
0: No. Yeah. Vandy did look good yesterday. Um, But, you know, I think going back to that Nebraska game, I don't think it was all on Scott Frost. Like Scott Frost deserves the blame. But the person that's skirting by today with absolutely no blame is Casey Thompson. And that's wrong too. Cause he yeah. completely Two fell apart in that fourth quarter. Well, in the picks both happen for the exact same reason. It's like after that onside kick, he started throwing the ball hundred miles an hour across the <laughs> middle. Okay. Well, when you do that, right. The ball is going to get tipped. And then what happens when the ball, the longer the ball is in the air, the better the chance the defense has to pick it off. Right. Mm-hmm. So twice in that second half, he's throwing, I mean, like, not, there wasn't even a reason for it. It's not like he was trying to, like, throw in a tight coverage. He's just throwing darts. Right. And
1: Both I mean, pass his receivers
0: can't handle them and they get bopped in the air and they get picked. But I think, I mean, Scott Frost was the reason they lost, but Casey Thompson deserves a good bit of blame too. He, he was great. Most of the game it, that one where he rolled out and like, looked like he was going to get sacked for like a 20 yard sack and then hit his receiver. I mean, what was it? Like 40 yards downfield. Like he hit Anthony Grant. I mean, that was nuts, right? Like we saw some flashes yesterday where it's like, wow, Nebraska's got some pop to them. But when you lose that gloriously, right? You, you just got to go ahead and make some changes. I mean, this is, what is this now for Scott Frost? Is this your six, your five? I think this is, this is fifth year, fifth year here. Never made a ball five and 21 and one score games. Like, this isn't going to get better. It's not like a fine wine. He's not going to age like wine. Like this is only going to get worse. The longer this goes. As Ben been continues to try and seduce us. All right. Um, other games that happened yesterday that I thought were things to take note of while Ben tries to figure out what is going on with his lighting. Um, North Carolina struggled mightily with Florida A&M for three quarters yesterday. Um, that's problematic. Like I know you can look at the score and say, okay, well, North Carolina won 56 24. The thing about those FCS teams, they have 20 less scholarships than you. So normally when you see a game like this and North Carolina, you know takes it away in the fourth quarter, outscored them 21 to zero. I think you look at the end result of the third quarter. Because if Florida AM had 20 extra scholarship players on their roster, that would have been a really, really close game. So, I mean, North Carolina got the win, but Ben, I'm a little bit nervous about them being my pick to win the Coastal this year. Of course, there would be nothing more ACC Coastal than losing to Florida A&M and still winning the Coastal.
1: <laughs> I have no rebuttal to that because I was only here for half the time. <laughs> yeah, th- there you go.
0: Um All right, well, Ben is is back. I don't know whatever just happened to him. We are a mess in progress. Um, Jim Mora made a return to college football yesterday as head coach of the UConn Huskies. They lost 31-20, but they looked good doing it. I think that is going to be an improved team this year.
1: All right. Huge improvement by UConn. I mean, they were the butt of every joke last year.
0: Yeah. So I mean, Utah State, good group of five team. They went in yesterday, put up a fight, had a lead at the end of the first quarter. Um, I mean, I, I think they're going to be, uh, I think there'll be like a three, four win team, but I think they'll upset somebody. Um, all right, let's jump into, we're going to finish our season previews today. I'm really excited about it. So both, um, Ben and I are going to preview Notre Dame. And then we've got three group of five teams we're going to talk about. So I have Liberty Cincinnati and JMU. Uh, Ben has, Houston, BYU, and ODU. So we are going to hit the Virginia teams. The rest of them today will be really exciting. But let's start things off with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Ben, what would you think of them looking at them?
1: Yeah, look, Notre Dame, like they are every year, is a pretty decent team. Uh, It's Marcus Freeman's first year. He was the defensive coordinator and has... 15 returning starters from a team that did very well previous season, 11-2. and They don't have an easy schedule, though, which I think is very interesting this year. They go at Ohio State, at North Carolina, uh, have to host Clemson and USC. They go at USC. So three really tough road games. They also have a weird game against BYU, who is another one of the teams I'm going over today, in Las Vegas, which is... An interesting location to play. So, usually I get on to Notre Dame for having cream puffs. Uh It looks like their, you know, staff has actually started scheduling some, some better seasons for them. What are you
0: talking about? They've like started the year off with Georgia the past three years. They have an independent schedule. The past three years, every
1: year. Nah, usually it's a cream puff schedule, but it's getting better. So this is respectful.
0: Okay. So hold on. Last year they started at Florida state. Now here's the thing. Cream puff. No, but here's the thing, Ben, do you have to schedule these games five, six years in advance? When they scheduled Florida state, they were good. They'd say premier program. It's not like they're scheduling next year's schedule today. Yeah. you're, You're so these, these aren't cream puff schedules. I mean, last year they played Clemson, Florida state, um, the year before that, they played Louisville. They played Georgia, USC, Michigan, uh, Michigan in 18 to start off the year. Are you getting this cream puff stuff from Notre Dame always plays a tough schedule.
1: Michigan hasn't been worth a crap since this past year. I mean, they weren't great before.
0: You continue, but that is the most asinine comment. Notre Dame doesn't play a tough schedule. There's few teams cream that play books. the schedule they do.
1: Yeah, few teams get cream puff schedules. But Notre Dame doesn't have one this year. So, I mean, props to them. Props to the scheduling staff for actually getting good teams in a good year for those teams. So, it should be a, a, tough, a tough year for Notre Dame. Uh, I don't think they miss a beat with Marcus Freeman, though. I think it was the right hire. Uh, glad that he was able to get that head coaching promotion. Um, you know, the biggest thing with Notre Dame historically... Over the past, like, I don't know, decade, uh, is after those cream puff seasons, they get into, you know, the uh, the postseason and they just, you know, crumble. So we'll see kind of how now having a decent group of uh, teams that they play, you know, besides getting crushed by Ohio State to be in the year, uh, we'll see how they kind of hold up. So they lose Jack Cohn as their quarterback. They have a couple guys. I'm not sure which one has been named starter yet, if that has happened. Uh, But two decent passers behind them, both 60 and 50% on the year last year, only in probably garbage time. Uh, A handful of wide receivers that made some plays last year. And then uh, the, the weirdest thing is, you know, their top two, Kieran Williams as running back is gone. Jack Cohn as quarterback is gone. Yeah, so those the leads awful. leads of offensive production need to be replaced. But they have some decent players behind them. And, uh, yeah, we'll kind of see how it plays out for them. It's going to be a tough first week. That's for sure.
0: So, All right. Here's the thing about their schedule. First off, last year was the first year in six years they haven't played at least four ranked teams in their schedule. And last year, they played Wisconsin and Cincinnati. So the teams that didn't perform up to par were the five ACC teams that they threw on their schedule, and they don't have to, by the way. They entered that agreement willingly. So I don't want to hear about Notre Dame's cream puff schedule. This year, they do start at Ohio State. And that is going to be a brutally tough game. Um, I do think, like Ben said, the losses to watch Jack Cohn and Karen Williams, those are just two brutal losses. But I would argue the rest of this team, thats this is the most talented Notre Dame team that we've maybe had in decades. And even Brian Kelly last year was quoted in saying, look, we're a good team, but we're a year away from really peaking. So even he told you last year how much confidence he has in this year's team. Um, Now you look at Jet Cone, he goes, that is big. But Tyler Buckner was a four-star quarterback in high school, had offers from Bama, Georgia, Michigan, Oregon, and USC, and a couple of Ivy League schools too, which had no chance at him. But that does tell me he is smart enough to where Ivy League schools really, really wanted him. So I think they've got a smart quarterback. I do think the question with this team is going to be Marcus Freeman and not so much is he a good enough coach to be able to win here. I think he is. But when you look at some of these games, Ohio State, UNC, Clemson, um, even USC, He's going up against experienced coaches, and I don't think there's a massive talent gap between Notre Dame and those programs, maybe UNC, but the point is is those games are going to be incredible situational football games, and I always favor experienced head coaches when they play in games that are decided situationally. So that's where I think Notre Dame's struggle is going to be. But make no mistake, this team is incredibly talented from top to bottom. I mean, I think they are on the outside looking in, but I think they're a legit playoff
1: contender. I mean, they're in the conversation every year, right? And so those those four big games where they actually play teams that are very good. And you know what? Maybe I'm biased coming from an Auburn background where we have to play one of the hardest schedules in college football every single year. But I often look at Notre Dame's schedule and was like, yeah, if we had that schedule, we'd be a lot better than we are right now. So it's kind of a little bit of a why the perspective is there. Still, typically, I feel like Notre Dame has a fairly cream tough schedule, so we can agree to disagree on that this year however i think
0: alabama starting off with the citadel again and notre dame is going to ohio
1: state so oh i didn't say alabama didn't have a cream puff schedule they do (laughs) they play the sec and they schedule cream puffs everyone else
0: yeah which by the way i do get an sec um i do get scheduling two cream puffs one decent game because you're playing a tough game you're playing a tough schedule no matter what um When we dive into Notre Dame's schedule, I think it's really interesting. It starts at Ohio State. It ends at USC. What I think that means is there's potential on both ends. If they knock off Ohio State at the start of the year, they are instantly in the playoff conversation. But at the same time, they can do that And then if they slip up at USC, because they would lose their last game of the season. So let's say they're ranked second in the country, lose their last game of the season at USC. That could knock them out of the playoff, even if they beat Ohio State. So how they start and how they end the year, really the game at USC is almost more important. Like if this team's going to go 11 and one. I'd rather them be 11-1 and one losing at Ohio State than losing at USC just simply because of the timing of it. Um, you look at the rest of the schedule, um, I think they're going to beat Marshall, beat Cal, beat UNC, beat BYU, Stanford, UNLV, Syracuse. The toss-ups to me are at Ohio State, home against Clemson. Clemson will be off of a bye, by the way. So, I mean, Notre Dame's got no bye week even near that Clemson game. Clemson's got a bye, then they go there. And then at USC, I marked as a toss-up as well, just simply because I think that is when Lincoln Riley, if this is going to work at USC, if these transfers are going to work, USC will be at their best at the end of the year than at the early part of the year. You could make the argument, Marcus Freeman, new coach as well. Maybe he's the same deal, but there's just, this is such an experienced team. I think we're going to know what we get week one. So toss ups, Ohio state, Clemson, USC, everything
1: else on the schedule is a win. Yep. I have a, wait, you don't, you don't have Clemson as a, as a toss up. I said said Ohio
0: state, Clemson and USC are toss ups. Everything else is a win. Yeah.
1: Good, yeah. I want to say that BYU game could be a toss-up. It's interesting. Uh, One, location. Two, BYU is a very good team that has a lot of returning starters. Yeah. Uh, Of course, Notre Dame is coming off a bye. BYU is coming off of a game the previous Thursday. So they don't necessarily have a bye, but they have a longer extended week to be able to prep for Notre Dame. It could be very interesting there. Also, you're big on North Carolina. And North Carolina's hosting. Granted, UNC doesn't have much of a home field advantage.
0: I, yeah, I mean,
1: iffy.
0: yeah. It, well, even when we did the ACC previews and I was big on UNC, I didn't think UNC would win that game. I still had Notre Dame winning. But after what I watched with the, from yesterday with UNC, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they'll win that game. I think it's interesting. BYU and Notre Dame are going to play in Las Vegas. We are yeah. sending the Mormon school and the Catholic school to Las Vegas is are, are like the fans going to be allowed to go.
1: Well, they won't be able to participate in any festivities around the uh, stadium, but they'll be able to that's go true. there.
0: I mean, I feel like the Notre Dame fans will be fine. I don't know what BYU fans are going to do.
1: I don't know, man. They're going to yeah. go to that big black dome. That's about that, it. That's
0: an interesting dynamic in and of itself. All right. <laughs> um there's notre dame so what we're gonna do now um i'm gonna jump into liberty and then ben can jump into his team of note um and we'll keep kind of going back and forth here so let's talk about the liberty flames and ben you're free to comment on this too as i go um first and foremost no malik willis this year for liberty that is the biggest loss. But I think, though, even though Malik is gone, top to bottom, this is actually maybe going to be the best team Liberty's ever had. First off, the receivers are just an incredible group of receivers. I mean, like three really, really good receivers. And C.J. Daniels, he's coming back after taking a year off. That is huge for this team because he was really the key offensive player other than Malik a couple years ago back in that incredible 2020 season so the fact they bring him back they get DeMario Douglas and Caleb Sneed who's awesome as well this is going to be a really experienced wide receiver core also if you think about Hugh Freeze and the teams he had down in Ole Miss and Ben and I were talking about this uh, a couple of days ago his teams always had big fast physical receivers that were not afraid to block that is to a T this Liberty receiving unit. So the way this offense is built up, this is exactly what Hugh was, what Hugh built when he was down at Ole Miss. So this is going to be the most Ole Miss resemblance offense that I think Liberty has had since Hugh Freeze has come in. Now the question is going to be at quarterback with Charlie Brewer coming in. You know, I think his playing skill is going to be really interesting here. The dynamic we had with this team last year was. Liberty had one of the worst offensive lines in the country and Malik Willis was able to make up for it. Now, I also believe even though he was able to make up for it, he also exasperated some of it because when you have a quarterback that runs around, it naturally makes your offensive line worse. So this is going to be improved, not just because they're going from a mobile quarterback to a pocket quarterback but because they're bringing in a bunch of transfers, Cam Reddy transfers from Boston college will be the senior center. Nasir Watkins transfers in from Kentucky. He's going to be the left tackle. The offensive line should be improved. No longer can be the worst in college football. And then this defensive line is going to be absolutely incredible. That is the heart of this Liberty team will be the pass rush. Now let's talk about Charlie Brewer real quick. Last year, he was the starter at Utah after transferring from Baylor. So he led Baylor to a big 12 championship, then goes to Utah transfers in three weeks into the year. He was no longer the starting quarterback and he looked awful in those three weeks. Now I'm fine with, you know, his performance. and coming into Liberty and maybe he has, you know, a comeback year. That's all fine. What concerns me more than anything is that not just that he got replaced, but he quit the team after week three. You cannot do that. Like, I don't care what the excuse is. You cannot just simply quit the team after week three. And Kyle Whittingham is one of the most honorable coaches in the game. So to go into Utah, play for Kyle Whittingham and come out and say, look, I just didn't think I was a good fit for the offense. And so now you quit the team. That's really not cool. The one thing Liberty always had with Malik was incredible leadership traits. And I do wonder with Charlie Brewer, and I know he's been in college football for like the past 20 years. That's fine. But I do wonder what kind of leadership traits is he bringing to the table? Because that was really concerning. Let's break down the schedule here real quick. So Liberty's going to start off the year at Southern Miss. I think Liberty should actually win that game. I'm not really worried about that at all. Then they're going to get UAB at home. Again, I've got that marked as a W. UAB's coach, Bill Clark, he retired earlier in the year, so they're bringing in an interim coach off of really short notice. I don't think that bodes well. Liberty's going to go to Wake Forest. Now, Wake Forest this year, quarterback is out. That's a problem. But I think Wake Forest, top to bottom, is a better team than Liberty. They should beat Liberty. So I've got that one marked as a loss. Akron, ODU, UMass, Gardner-Webb, all Tamir wins. The ODU game's a little bit sneaky because it's at ODU, but Liberty has absolutely dominated ODU over the past couple of years. Last year, they beat them 45-17, a couple years ago, um, Liberty played ODU. This was in 2018. Liberty won that one 52-10. So that game really hasn't even been close. I think Liberty will crush ODU again. Then October 22nd, they're going to get BYU at home. Now, I do think Liberty has a chance in that game. But I think BYU is a better team. I think they're incredibly well coached. BYU is going to be coming off of a game against Arkansas um, and against Notre Dame. So those two back-to-back games and then to go on the road to Virginia, Liberty couldn't ask to get BYU in a better spot. So that really will help them in this game. But I just think BYU is going to be too much. Then Liberty gets a bye week. Then they're going to go at Arkansas. Um, unless Arkansas is just completely fallen off the wagon, which I don't expect. I think Arkansas will win that one handily. And then Liberty goes at UConn. Listen, I mark this one as a toss-up simply because of the timing. You've got Arkansas, you've got BYU by a week, big game at Arkansas, and then Virginia Tech's right around the corner. I think having to go to UConn, which is now coached by Jim Mora, it'll be late in the year. I think that's a sneaky game. Liberty should win, but I marked it as a toss-up. Virginia Tech at home, Liberty should be favored. It feels like a win right now. But listen, you're talking power five versus group of five. Virginia Tech's a talented team. I think Virginia Tech has actually hired the right coach, so I think the Hokies will be improved. And it being that late in the year, I have that one marked as a toss-up too. And Virginia Tech travels really, really well. So I expect Liberty fans to be there, but if that's a 50-50 crowd, I would not be shocked. Liberty's going to end the year with New Mexico State. I've got that one marked as a win. So
1: what's the overall record for Liberty there?
0: I think there's somewhere around seven to eight wins. If Charlie Brewer, if we get the Charlie Brewer from a few years ago that won the Big 12 title,
1: Mm -hmm. I legit
0: think Liberty could win up to 10 games. Um, My concern is... Charlie Brewer isn't great. We don't know it. We don't know that until Wake Forest, and then they have to bring in freshman Caden Salter, who I know was third on the depth chart. But let me tell you, and I've watched Jonathan Bennett play. You get Jonathan Bennett out there for a drive, then you get Kane Salter out there for a drive. That entire locker room, fan base, everybody is going to be begging for Salter. Like that kid is just lightning in a bottle. He might throw a bunch of a bunch of picks, but he is lightning in a bottle.
1: Very cool. Yeah, Hugh Freeze coming in, bringing Liberty into one A, going to four straight bowl games, pretty wild. So uh,
0: it's it's interesting, man. I it's mean, good this year is year to be a
1: flame. This is
0: the well. It's a great year to be a flame. This is the best Liberty team that I think we've they've ever had. And like, if you look, seven returning starters on offense, only four returning on defense. The strength of this team's on the defensive line. They lose some really, really good players in the secondary. That's going to be a question mark. But if you look at the schedule, no, they don't really play a team that's going to air it out on them. Like mm-hmm. we could have maybe made that argument for Wake Forest a few weeks ago, but Sam Hartman's out for potentially the year. So are they going to air it out with their backup quarterback? So I think teams are going to try and run on Liberty and they're not going to be able to. Like Liberty matches up well with everybody on their schedule, even Arkansas.
1: For sure. It's uh going to be a good year. I Flame think so. On. All
0: right, Ben, which team are you going to next?
1: Yeah, the next one for me is the BYU Cougars. Uh coming off of a 10 and 3 season, back-to-back 10-win seasons. Uh BYU has uh 19 returning starters. So, yeah, it's a really good team. Most of the offense is back. Uh they lose their top rusher Uh, Tyler Alagier, but he is being replaced by Christopher Brooks, a senior transfer from Cal, four-year starter over there. So shouldn't miss too much of a beat when it comes to the run game. They also have a handful of decent running backs back behind there. Their second in uh, the running category, though, is Jaron Hall, and that's the difference maker on their offense. Their lead quarterback uh, last year, 64% completion, almost 2,600 yards, 20 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, so it doesn't turn it over often, which is great. And when you have a solid leader like that with a decent running game, oh, and by the way, uh, Jaron Hall is not immobile. He has run for 420 yards last year uh, with three touchdowns on the ground. You've got a solid one-two punch there with your quarterback, your running back who just came in as well as a handful of really good wide receivers that they had last year. Uh, That through Pukunaku, Gunnar Romney, and Keanu Hill. Is Gunnar
0: Romney related to
1: Mitt Romney? I don't know, but it is BYU, so who knows? There's a chance. Uh, Very large families out in Utah. Distant relatives, apparently. (laughs) Like I said, very large families. Uh, So you've got a really solid offense coming. Oh, and by the way, the defense is almost entirely intact. Uh, 11 returning starters, and you've got majority of those guys that started almost every game. And they had a really decent defense last year as well. Uh, Lots of picks, lots of sacks, lots of good players that are going to play a non-Cream Puff independent schedule. Uh, BYU's got a very tough schedule up in front of them, so we'll kind of walk through that now. They start off uh, on the road at USF. Not a not a Cream Puff, but not a, uh, a hard game. They should win that handily. Then they take on Baylor at home, the defending uh, Big 12 champion. So that is going to be a tough, tough game. Uh, a really solid offense with a decent defense versus a really solid defense with a decent offense. So we'll kind of see how that battle plays out. Uh, Baylor should win it, but I have it as a toss up because I think BYU has opportunity. Uh, After they get through Baylor, they have to go to Eugene, Oregon and play the Oregon ducks. Uh, These two teams stack up pretty well. High powered offenses, Expect that to be a high-scoring game, but it's a toss-up as well. I think the team that has it at the end or causes the first turnover is the one that wins it out. I have it as a toss-up leaning in BYU's favor, but when you're playing on the road, it's not easy, and that's two of their first three games right there, really intense starting off. Uh, They then have Wyoming and Utah State, who we saw play this week, decent team. Uh, both coming in the next following two games. I have both of those as wins for BYU. Then they go on the road to Las Vegas, which we had just talked about against Notre Dame. Uh, I wanted to call that as a toss up, I have it as a loss, but I think BYU definitely measures up there and has opportunity. Uh, and then homecoming for BYU next game, they have Arkansas coming to town. <laughs> so, uh, hit after hit after hit. Look, this BYU team has an incredibly difficult schedule. Uh, that Arkansas team should manhandle BYU in the run game uh, as well as in the trenches. However, the kind of biggest area of loss within Arkansas is their cornerbacks. so if they get lit up, then there's potential for BYU in that one as well. I have it as a toss-up, leaning towards a loss uh, win for Arkansas. Then they go at Liberty, which you just talked about. Uh, Not an easy game there, but the two match up very well. Uh, I think it goes in BYU's favor, but like we said, the Flames are decent this year. Uh, One of the best Liberty teams they've had in quite some time. So look for that one to be very interesting high-scoring game. Then they take on East Carolina at Boise State with that crazy blue field. They finish out the season with Utah Tech... Here's the crazy thing: they don't have a bye week until November twelfth. Like, schedule your buys a little yeah. bit better. Like, solid schedule. Holy cow! But put a buy in the middle of it, or it start off
0: really tough as an independent to get twelve teams on a schedule. I mean, it's really tough.
1: Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of these week zero games. I would love to be able to have more week zero games and more bye weeks in the middle of the season. That's. I think that's a huge advantage for teams, especially as you kind of get down the stretch. So last two games, Utah Tech, easy win before they go at Stanford. Once again, not a pushover team. Uh, I think it lands in BYU's favor to win that game, more of a toss-up, but I'm going to give it a win for BYU. This year, a a two-year-in-a-row, 10-win BYU team I don't know if they make it three. However, very talented team, lots of opportunity, right. Lots of really good games. I'll be picking BYU in a handful of these. Well, come
0: and year. if if you look at the past couple of years, so last year they won ten and three. They went ten and three year before that they went eleven and one. I mean they've this is two straight years of ten win ten win seasons, and they're returning nineteen starters. It sounds good, but if you look at the schedule last year, they really only had one tough game. That was yep. Utah rest of the schedule was a, was a breeze. You look at 2020. I would maybe argue their toughest game was at Coastal Carolina where it was kind of like scheduled at the last minute if you remember, a little yep. bit of a breeze. Last time they had a schedule even remotely close to being as tough as this one was 2018 and they went seven and six that year so i don't know what we're gonna get out of byu this year and i gotta be honest there's a couple of sneaky games here as well east carolina is a team that won eight games last year they're really well coached i think they're gonna be um an even improved team so you're gonna get them on a friday night and then that week after that you go at boise state keep in mind byu lost to boise state last year at home 26 to 17 um So that's another game to kind of circle, and that's right before their bye week. So, I mean, this is a team, Ben, 19 returning starters, I get it. They may only get to seven to eight wins just simply because of how difficult the schedule is. And that game to start off the year at South Florida, that's not an automatic win. I mean, I would mark it as a win, but like to go on the road (laughs) to South Florida, play a team that's got some talent, like, I mean, there's a chance they could start off 0-3 chance yeah but it's, uh, it's a brutal schedule for sure
1: it is a brutal schedule for a really good team that uh yeah. i'm excited for a lot of these games just personally no, I,
0: I am too i mean i think we're gonna end up i think we're gonna get to the end of year and be like wow i watched a lot of byu football um, <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna go over to cincinnati here and we'll try and speed things up so Let's do it. It, when we look at cincinnati Luke Fickle, he returns as head coach. A lot of people thought he was gonna take a big job last year. I gotta be honest with you, Ben. Um, if I were a if I were Auburn, if you're gonna move off of Brian Harson, I would hire Luke Fickle in a heartbeat. Like if I were any of these top-tier programs, like I think Oklahoma should have hired Luke Fickle. This to me is the next best coach that's sitting there and waiting. And the fact that he came back to Cincinnati, it's huge. But since he loses Desmond Ritter, Jerome Ford, Sauce Gardner, and Kobe Bryant, that is a third round quarterback pick. That's a really good running back. That is the best cornerback combo or secondary combo in the country from a year ago. This is not going to be the same Cincinnati team that we got from last year. Ben Bryant transfers in from Eastern Michigan, he's expected to be the starting quarterback. I watched him in the bowl game against Liberty last year. He really didn't look great. He doesn't put them in trouble very much, so I don't think you have to worry about him throwing a bunch of picks, but he's not going to elevate you in the red zone. He's not going to hit big 60-yard passes. Like I think he's a really limited thrower of the football. Now, the thing about Cincinnati that's going to be great this will be the best offensive line they've maybe ever had. So at the very least, Bryant gets a better offensive line to work with. They should run the ball really well. That I think is going to be a strength. And then you look at the defense. You just can't lose two guys like Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner and expect to be the same team from a year ago. So I think the defense, and they've got some guys transferring in, but I think the defense will take a step back. Now you look at the schedule, they start off at Arkansas. Arkansas right now, I believe is a six point favorite against Cincinnati. Um, I've got that game marked as a toss up. I could see Cincinnati going into Arkansas, pulling off an upset, but that is a really tough game to start the year with a young team coming up. They're going to get Kennesaw State, Miami of Ohio, Indiana, Tulsa, uh, South Florida, next South Florida games at home. I've got all of those marked as wins at SMU on October 22nd. That's a tough conference game, but the fact that Cincinnati is going to get that game off of a bye week and us. Uh, Southern Southern Methodist gets that game between Navy and Tulsa, two tough teams to prep for. I've got Cincinnati winning that game. Then they go at central Florida. They're going to play the fighting Gus Malzahn's and a bunch of bubble screens. (laughs) I do think that is probably their toughest conference game on the schedule. They get to avoid Houston. That's massive, but I've got that game marked as a toss up, Ben. I don't think that's easy Navy. I've got it marked as a win, But that is a sneaky game. And last year, remember, we were watching Cincinnati play at Navy, and it was real close for most of that game. So I think, Mm -hmm. again, that game was 27-20, by the way. I think, again, we can get another close game. They're going to get East Carolina at home on a Friday night. Now, East Carolina, a really good team that will be off of a bye week. I marked that one as a toss-up as well. I think Cincy should win, but that is a game that I think there's enough intrigue there. East Carolina could pop up and knock them off. At Temple's a win. Tulane at home is a win. I think Cincinnati's somewhere around eight or nine wins. It is not going to be a playoff team like last year, but they are, in my opinion, still the favorite to win the American Conference. I think it's a really, really good team.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't have him as the favorite to win the American, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. Uh, I was big on Cincy last year, though. I agree with you. Luke Fickle's a great coach. Desmond Murder was a great quarterback. Uh definitely appreciated what they put into their season. I was really glad that they made the playoffs. First group of five team to get there, which I thought was special, even though they got creamed by Alabama in that game. Um uh, they did. However, as uh, predicted, by the way. Yeah. With 13 returning starters losing, you know, your top running back and your Second uh runner with the quarterback, Desmond Ritter. Uh, it's it's gonna be tough to replace those key components. I think they definitely take a step back. I am taking Arkansas with the points in that bet.
0: Oh, because I like it.
1: They're they're at Arkansas for one. Pig Suey is on the upswing. Cincinnati has a rebuilding year at best. Uh right here folks make some money this coming weekend take arkansas yeah. easy touchdown win and with a touchdown that gives you the points so six and a half there points all day long uh since should have a decent year i agree but it's going to be tough for them to kind of come off of that especially going zero and one and uh i don't know if they run the table because they don't play houston and i think houston's the better team
0: yeah. Well, speaking of Houston, why don't you go ahead and preview them, Ben, since we're already on the American Athletic Conference.
1: Yeah, that was my plan. Uh, look, fourth year of Dana Hologerson, Uh Holgerson,
0: coach. what did you just do to that man's last name?
1: <laughs> Holgerson, Holgerson, same thing. Uh, you still didn't
0: get it right. It's Holgerson.
1: I said Holgerson.
0: Okay. Look, I'm just... Did you say like, like just... Holgerson, like a hologram, but a Gresson?
1: I'm taking lessons from the president right here and uh, just (laughs) pronouncing people's names however the hell I like. So, uh, (laughs) Hologreson over here. I know it's Hologreson. I'm going to keep with it. Stand my ground. Uh, And I'm just going to pronounce all the rest of the team's names however I feel as well. Well, Look, they've got got Clayton Toon back, who was their leading passer, almost 70% completion rate. Three and a half thousand yards, 30 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Good runner, too. Uh, <laughs> Yep, he's definitely mobile as well. Had 419 yards on the ground. Uh, he also got sacked a bunch, so that only netted out to 154. But he did have two touchdowns. Uh, they also bring back Alton mckay Uh, Don't even question me on that. That's their top rusher from last year. Over a thousand yards rushing, but had some negative plays. So just under a thousand to finish out the year. Sixteen touchdowns for him. Uh you only losing. McCaskill? Yes.
0: Okay. <laughs> Looking all over this roster for like McKay or What? <laughs>
1: McCay's kill.
0: McCaskill. McCaskill. <laughs> McKay is kill. This is amazing.
1: Uh <laughs> Tank Dell, there, I can't mispronounce that name. Their top wide receiver, uh, 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns. They lose a couple different wide receivers, but they have a handful to fill that, and then some decent producers last year. All in all, this team is returning seven on offense, six on defense. You've got 13 returning starters. Your key components are coming back. Your defense was solid last year. Your offense was solid last year. Expect both of those to maintain. And the schedule looks really good for Houston. There's a good chance they run the table. And when it comes to scheduling, this is more of of a team that's in a conference but has a cream puff schedule. And the reason for that is, look, they play two teams from the Big 12, but they're the two worst teams from the Big 12. They play Texas Tech at Texas Tech, second game of the season, as well as hosting Kansas. Uh, their first game, UTSA, I think that's a win. Texas Tech could be somewhat of a toss-up because uh, high-powered passing game. But look, I think Houston can easily win that game. I have it more of a toss-up and a win in Houston's favor. Texas Tech at night is a decent uh, atmosphere though so depending on when that gets scheduled I haven't looked at the timing it could be very interesting they're going to kick the crap out of Kansas Rice Tulane uh, could easily go 5-0 and then they have to go at Memphis on a Friday night which should be an interesting game I have it in a toss-up leading to Houston's favor but don't put it past Memphis not to have a surprise there then they go at Navy, USF, at SMU, Temple, ECU, and Tulsa. I have them going 6-0 to finish the season as they go for potentially running the table. Uh, they get past Texas Tech and Memphis. I think everything else is you know green running ground. There's a good chance that they, you know, finish out the season with a 10 win at worst uh not potentially be right potentially 12 and 0 and uh fighting for the conference and in the playoff discussion so if houston plays their cards mm-hmm. right and they do very well granted they don't have a premier resume they don't play anyone really challenging however they could be in the hunt
0: well no i and i i think it's a fantastic point the fact that they avoid cincinnati does make them a really intriguing pick for the American Athletic. Like, I almost want to look at that bet right now and go ahead and lay that just simply because they avoid Cincy. That yeah. And it looks like they avoid uh, Central Florida, too. So, like, if your argument is Cincy and Central Florida are the two best teams on the conference, that's fine. But Houston avoids both of them. So Houston could just win the conference by the fact that they don't have to play those two teams. They do have to go at East Carolina next to the last game of the year. I'm telling you, that's going to be a tough one. And going at Memphis on October 7th on a Friday night, that'll be a really fun game. That's tough too. But yeah, I mean, the rest of the schedule looks very doable. Um, I don't feel like the game at Texas Tech is an automatic win because I think Texas Tech can pass the ball real well, but Houston should absolutely be a favorite in that game for sure. And, yeah, be on the lookout. Tank Dell, Clayton Toon is going to be a really, really nice combo. Um, all right, let's scoot over We're We'll come back to the state of Virginia talk about the JMU Dukes. Welcome. To FBS football, JMU, I'm sure you guys are excited for this year. I know as a Liberty fan, I'm really excited to watch you finally play FBS football. Um, but let's dig into the team. So Cole Johnson, a quarterback, he graduates. Listen, Cole Johnson, absolutely incredible college player. I knew he would be. I think he was better than Ben DiNucci. So he leaves, and they have not named a starting quarterback yet with the exception of maybe Michigan this year, I think anytime a team doesn't name a starting quarterback going into the year, I think the only reason you do that is because your only chance at having good quarterback play is the element of surprise. I don't like that at all. And even Michigan, though it's a battle, we don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback there yet. We at least know who is starting this week to open up the year. So they're like, we know who's going to start week two. So they're like, we don't care if it's a surprise or not. We legit have a battle. I think with JMU, I don't know how much of a battle it's actually. it actually is. I think Kurt Sinecki Cine- is, is looking at this going, uh, I don't like my quarterback play at all after losing Cole Johnson. And you got to start off the year with a Middle Tennessee State team, that's, like, not bad. That may not be a great team, um, but that is a team that last year really found their rhythm towards the end of the year. And then September 24th, JMU is going to go to Appalachian State. So that, I think, is a loss. So you look at the schedule, toss up against Middle Tennessee. They're going to get Norfolk State at home. That will be a win. At Appalachian State's a loss, I think Texas State, Arkansas State, and Georgia Southern are all toss-up games. They should beat Georgia Southern, probably should beat Texas State. But I'm going to get to here in a second why I think this will be brutal for JMU coming in. Then they're going to get Marshall at home. Now, Marshall loses Grant Wells, so that's a big loss there. But I think Marshall still goes into JMU and wins. JMU gets another bye week before going and playing at Louisville. I think that's a loss at ODU. I think is a loss Georgia state at home. Georgia state's really good. That's a loss. And then coastal Carolina at home. I also have as a loss. So here's the thing about JMU, because I think JMU look, looks at this and these fans are like, Hey, we've been so competitive in FCS play. You know, last year we won 12 games. We continued to go far in the FCS playoffs. Like we should be able to step right in and win some games against the Sun Belt listen any one of these teams on a given week you could be we know that about JMU the problem is is when you are an FCS team you have 65 scholarship players when you're an FBS team you have 85 so I don't question your ability to win any one of these games you know when you single them out My question is, is on the consistency. Can you consistently beat these teams? And I don't think JMU can. So I really think JMU, I think they could potentially get up to a five-win season. I think more realistically, they're going to be somewhere around three to four wins.
1: Yeah, that's tough. But uh, welcome JMU to FBS. So it's pretty exciting. And
0: watch Chris Thornton. That kid is a monster at receiver. Had over a thousand receiving yards last year. He's going to be really good.
1: So, uh, my last team is also a team in Virginia, uh, a team that I really like, mainly because they beat the Hokies a handful of times. So, uh,
0: one time.
1: One time that I've replayed over in my memory many times. <laughs> so, we'll put it that way. Uh, however, look out. This coming Saturday, ODU plays Virginia Tech once again and uh, hosting the Hokies as they open their season under a new regime. So ODU, first year in the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt Fun Belt takes on uh, quite a new look this year with a handful of really good additions. The team is fairly intact. Uh, 17 returning starters from a team that had a mediocre season last year. However, new look when it comes to your competition, and some old faces too. The offense comes in with uh, Blake Watson as their top rusher, coming in with over a 1,000 yards on the ground and eight touchdowns. He's got somewhat of a 1-2 punch with Elijah Davis, so expect a really solid running game. And then, you know, one of the, the key leaders on this team is Hungry Like a Wolf, Hayden Wolf over here, with almost 2,000 yards passing, 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions on the year last year. Uh, wide receivers are all pretty solid. They've got returning their top wide receiver, Ali Jennings, uh, over 1,000 yards and five touchdowns. Half the touchdowns went to Ali. The other half went to Zach. Uh, Kuntz, and yes, I pronounced that the way that it should be. I believe, uh, almost seven hundred yards, five touchdowns. Oh there, <laughs> I think that's how it's pronounced. Glad that was buried at minute fifty-five of our. Podcast. I know, right? K U
0: N T Z. We're uh, just gonna say that's Kuntz, Kuntz. There we
1: go. Yeah. You can mute me, baby. Go back and edit it. Uh, Thank you. We're going to break down the season. Uh, It will be... (laughs) You muted me and unmuted? Fantastic. Breaking down the season here for for the ODU Monarchs. They start off, like I said, hosting Virginia Tech this coming Friday night like the high school matchup that it is. Get ready, uh, because I think ODU wins the second time against the Hokies under their new regime.
0: Virginia Tech right now, by the way, is uh Hold on, I think it's an eight-point favorite, eight and a half-point favorite
1: out ODU. Yep, eight and a half-point favorite. So and it's a my, massive
0: line to give ODU. <laughs> I yeah.
1: would say definitely take the points in that one for ODU to cover. Yeah, easy win, easy money. Uh, then they have to go at East Carolina, who is a very decent team. Uh that will be a tough one. Look, I'm just gonna be all rainbows and butterflies for this one because I think ODU has some really good shots in all of these. Uh you could put half the half the games as toss-ups uh for ODU, potentially not in their favor. Well, but... and
0: even Phil still says his power is uh rankings have them going anywhere between three and nine and nine and three.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. It's uh Half, half the schedule is toss-ups here for ODU, um, but there's definitely favored for a team with 17 returning starters and some decent production on both sides of the ball to be a very good team this year. Uh, at ECU, they probably don't win that, um, but I think they could. Uh, at UVA, once again, shouldn't win that, but I think probably could. So uh, I've got toss-ups right there. Uh, I think they win hosting Arkansas State. They have Liberty, who you said Liberty would crush them. We'll see how that plays out. I also have it as a toss-up there. I'm going to have it as a win in ODU's favor, but we'll see what happens. Then they go at Coastal Carolina, who is still a complete team. Uh, I have it as a toss-up favoring Coastal Carolina. Probably going to be a loss. Um, Their homecoming is against Georgia Southern. Uh, Once again, another decent team, uh, giving it as a win in ODU's favor. They go at Georgia State, so have fun traveling down here. Uh, Kind of a toss-up on the road, but not a ton of uh, favorability there, so I have it leaning more towards ODU as a win. Uh, Take on Marshall. I've got that as a win. JMU win at Appalachian State. I think they could win that one as well. And then finishing out in Mobile, Alabama at South Alabama. There's a good chance Mobile does well uh, with South Alabama USA. Remember when that program started very good down there. Um, I have it as a toss-up favoring ODU because of the experience. However, it is at the end of the season, so we'll see kind of where it goes. So... Um. ODU could be anywhere from three to nine to nine and three. I have them more in the nine and three favor. Uh I think they have a handful of really tough games coming up, but a really solid look as they get welcomed into the Sun Belt for the 2022 yeah. season.
0: So they they did not play in 2020, by the way. So in 2019 they were one and eleven. Last year they were six and seven. But heading into the Louisiana tech game, they only had one win and that was against Hampton so then they went on a five game winning streak in the year they beat Louisiana Tech, Florida International, Florida Atlantic, Middle Tennessee and Charlotte so of those games all of those teams were terrible and I mean terrible except Middle Tennessee now that was a good win I do like consistency I do think at this level when you're winning conference games it doesn't matter so much who you beat, how you beat them, so much as it does that you beat them. But if you look at what we've seen from this team so far, and the fact, I mean, really, the only thing Ricky reign's has done is gone on a nice win streak. And, like, that's it. So is this team legitimately an improved team that just kind of found their rhythm at the end of the year? Or is this a team that just went on a nice little streak to end the year? And what we're going to get is more of that team that was one in uh, six heading into that streak and one and 11 in 2019. That's more of my concern. And that's where I think, honestly, like I know Ben wants to take ODU in the eight and a half. I, I think it's a big number, but I actually like Virginia Tech to open up the year to go into ODU and just crush the Monarchs, I don't think uh, what we've seen from ODU last year is indicative of what this team will be this year. I still think it's a bad football team. And maybe it's just because I've gone twice to watch Liberty just utterly destroy them. But I don't think ODU is a really good football team. I think they're going to struggle again. I think last year they just got on a nice win streak. They bring 17 people back. Um, Alonzo Ford's really good. Other than that, and Zach Other than that, um, I don't think this is a a great football team, and I think they're going to struggle for most of the year.
1: All right. Like a wolf.
0: Thank you for putting that in minute 55 and not a minute five. Um, (laughs) Goodness gracious. All right. Uh, Before we leave, some games happening this week to keep an eye on. Um, Nebraska plays North Dakota, so if that game is seven points or less, uh, put money on North Dakota to win. Um, let's see, Utah at Florida, Utah's a two and a half point favorite. Ben, I like Utah to go and win by more than two and a half.
1: Yeah, uh, I still don't know how that game's going to play out because we said in our conference previews, look, Florida's a really difficult place to play. Uh, Haven't heard still a ton from Florida. It's really the quietest off season for Florida that I've I think I've ever seen. Yeah. So uh, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe that's a good thing. We'll see. Uh, Yeah. However, Utah will have a challenge going into Gainesville for sure. Don't sleep Um, on Florida.
0: Coastal is going to play Army. Coastal is a two and a half point favorite. Um, I think that's another game to watch too. You know, Army wins a lot of games because they're tough to prepare for, but Coastal's had the entire year to prepare. Jamie Chadwell's a great coach. Um, I think Coastal could go in there and win that by a lot. Um, yeah, agreed. Let's see. Coastal Notre line, Dame. Notre Dame is going to play at Ohio State. Ohio State is a seventeen point favorite. They're both ranked on the top five.
1: Stay away from betting on that game. Ohio State should win by, like, three touchdowns. but I
0: mean, yeah, Ohio State could beat them by 21, but if Notre Dame makes that a close game to the end, like, I wouldn't be shocked either. Um, Let's see who else we have. Uh, Other good games. Florida State's going to play LSU. The line is only LSU minus three. Florida State looked good yesterday. Granted, it was against Duquesne. So I don't know what that means, but Florida state did look like an improved football team.
1: This isn't Bobby Bowden's Florida state. So uh, go Tigers. So what you're pulling for LSU. No, I'm saying take the points there. Oh, okay. Florida state's trash.
0: We'll see. I don't know that I would say any team right now is trash, except for maybe Nebraska, but <laughs> it'll be an interesting game. All right. There is, that's the end of the previews. So we'll be back next week as we recap week one, or at least most of week one, get ready for week two. The season's in swing, baby. I'm excited. Um, Real quick, Ben, who's your playoff picks?
1: Playoff picks right here. <clears throat> <clears throat> Let's do it. Yeah. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, you Houston. Houston? <laughs> no, I think Clemson gets back in.
0: Okay. Yeah, I am Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and I like having one kind of off-the-limb pick. I'm going to go Texas A&M gets in. And no, I think, in a- I think A&M is literally like the third or fourth best team in the country. I just think their schedule is going to be tough. Um, I'll tell you another team. I don't think they a- get the
1: double-digit wins.
0: I think they'll do that. I think another team to really keep an eye on. And I know I, I know I was hard on them a few weeks ago when we did that conference preview. But I think the one team that could really pop, and I'll explain why, is Miami. If you're looking for a dark horse to get in, this could be it. So for one, they get two weeks to kind of prepare for Texas A&M. They're going to get bethune Cookman. They're going to get Southern Miss. Then they go at Texas A&M. Now, even if they lose, here's the next weeks after that. Middle Tennessee State, UNC at home at Virginia Tech versus Duke at UVA versus Florida State at Georgia Tech. Then they end the year with Clemson on the road and Pitt at home. Now, Pitt, I don't think will be as good as they were last year. And Clemson, I do think Clemson is going to be a really good team. But it's all dependent on if DJ Ugaleli is any good. And if he's not any good, Miami's going to peak towards the end of the year. That is a potential game Miami could go and win. It's like I think Miami's probably going to be somewhere around seven to eight wins, honestly. but there's enough potential with that schedule to where I think they could find themselves at eleven or twelve wins and sneak into the playoff.
1: Doesn't Clemson have like a five star behind yougalaley? He was
0: I don't know. but if he if he's there, he's not good enough to beat out yougalalele?
1: I think yougalalele they they say he's the most talented quarterback they've ever had uh maybe it's well, that
0: That also concerns me because i watched trevor lawrence a couple years ago and that to me feels like the most purely talented quarterback in college football since paint manning but
1: yeah well we'll see we'll see uh mm-hmm. everything is still flying high for you so maybe he'll come into his own this year i expect him to at least
0: yeah all right this is the fourth string podcast season previews are done see you guys next week